0: The material discussed and presented in this podcast is for general information only, and any reliance on such material is done at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice. Reference to any information, product, process, service, or organization does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by pros. Views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply an endorsement by pros of them or any entity they represent. Views expressed by PROS employees are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views, standards, or policies of PROS or any of its directors, officers, employees, or shareholders.
1: Welcome to Interface, a podcast where we connect technology and culture through conversation. Interface is brought to you by Empower at PROS, Empower is dedicated to attracting, developing, and retaining black talent at PROS PROS helps people and companies outperform by enabling smarter selling in the digital economy. I'm your host, Jennifer Plummer, and today uh, my co-hosts are Matthew and Sierra. Hi guys. Hello. Hello.
2: Howdy. And
1: today Today, our guest is Dr. Cheryl Soignier, Senior Teaching Faculty at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. She is an experienced computer science department chair with a demonstrated history of working in the higher education industry. Dr. Soignet is a senior teaching faculty at the University of Massachusetts Amherst and was the former department chair of mathematics and computer science at Claflin University, where she was named Henry N. and Alice Carson Tisdale Endowed Professor. Dr. Soignet works with many programs focused on increasing the computing pipeline by getting students interested in STEM disciplines And future technology careers through her nonprofit, the SIS Foundation Incorporated, that implements the Cool Girls Code Project and is dedicated to increasing the number of underrepresented minorities in computing through engagement, inspiration, and empowerment. Welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you, Jenny. I'm so excited to be a part of your podcast today. We're gonna have fun. We like.
1: I hope our guests think we have a. pretty fun to um really learn about everyone's background so speaking of which um can you give us your origin story how did you get into technology
2: well that's a very interesting question um i first start off out uh, just telling you a l- little bit about who i am and where i'm from how ah, i got it and so i'm no sprayed chicken and- you can see, uh, others may not be able to see it, but um, I've from the small, small town in South Georgia called Whitman, Georgia. And when I graduated high school, there was only one traffic. And today, there are three traffic lights on the stage. Yes, you know, kind of tell you how small the town. We had one high school one junior high school and one elementary school, basically. And so, when I graduated high school a long time ago, my favorite subject was mathematics. and And so, upon to graduation, I went to Albany State College. And Albany State College is not Albany State University in Albany, Georgia. So, when I first got to Albany, Georgia, and went to Albany State, I met my advisor, my academic advisor, who happened to be a math professor. He told me at the time that computer science and electrical engineering was the thing of the future. He suggested that I do the dual degree program with Georgia Tech, and I asked him, Well, how long is that program? And he said, Well, you will have to go to school in an additional year. And I thought that was just too long. And I said, I'm just going to do four years and get out, you know. So I fit with computer science. And so I ended up changing my major to computer science. And that's where my start in the tech field began. It began at Albany State College back in 1986, in the fall of 1983. And from there, I started um, doing co-ops in computer science with the Marine Corps Logistics Base in Albany, Georgia, for the next two years. Upon my graduation, um, they offered me a full-time position as a computer specialist. And um, I I turned down the offer, and I ended up taking a fellowship at The Ohio State University uh, to pursue a master's in computer science, because I thought getting a master's in computer science would have more of a positive impact on my um, career endeavors, as opposed to Just staying local, being being a computer specialist uh, slash computer programmer um, in uh, Albany, Georgia. And so I found went to Ohio State. Uh, I was like the only one in my class. And here I am, this young uh, girl from South Georgia. Who had never been away from her family, scared, alone, and I had no one you know to talk to, I didn't know anybody there. And so, um, I eventually got recruited while I was at the Ohio State University, they offered me a position, and I ended up moving to upstate New York, and so. My first job, my first degree in computer science, and from I was my first job in corporate America was and then I reinvented myself at least two more times. Um at Suntown. Um I did become a high school math teacher, um taught uh, math for, for middle school for a few years. And the reason I transitioned from I'm um, corporate to K-12 is because I felt like I had reached this glass. It was always my aspiration to become a CEO of an organization. I quickly realized that those types of organizations really worked from black back in those, in the early eighties, right? In the eighty eighties, you know, they, one of them wanted us there, right? But, you know, for whatever reason, but in terms of, you know, climbing that career ladder, it was really, in my opinion, limited for African Americans. And so um, I ended up transitioning, going back to Georgia. Um, I worked for the major um, credit card corporation in Georgia, Columbus, Georgia, so it's there. And I found the same thing there. You know, it's a different place, but the same things were going on. I just could not climb that career ladder for whatever reason. I was on a track for a technical weighting maintenance position, but no one would ever put me on that management track. I transitioned, reinvented myself, and became a K-12 teacher to a high school male, middle school male. But after seven years of doing that, I happened to meet one of my childhood friends who happened to be a provost at Fort Valley State University. He told me to email yeah. him my reverberate. And I re- emailed him to my resume. And next week, I had an interview for a department chair position in math and computer science at Fort Valley State University. And at the time, I didn't even have my peers in computer science. To hear all of this uh, practice syndrome fitting in. like, how are you going to be the department chair or professors of computer science? And you don't even have a PhD in computer science. How are you going to be, you know, over a supervised PhD in computer science? And you just have a master's and a bachelor's, you know, in computer science. At the time I did have a doctorate. I have two doctors. Mm-hmm. If my doctorate was in education, I didn't have the confidence to preside over my doctorate, who had PhDs in computer science. So I thought. So when I went to my interview, I was extremely nervous because that was my first high academic interview. But I did my best. And so, not so short. Sure, they did offer me a position, but not then of department. Or- because really, I didn't show the confidence and, enthusiasm, you know, to get that position. But they did offer me a position as a associate professor of computer science. And therefore, I took it. Because my thoughts were, like, I was already a high school math teacher on the south side of Columbia, Georgia teaching at risk here. And I had gotten tired of that. And I also felt like I just didn't fit in with those teachers. Mm -hmm. You know, I was the only one in the entire uh, school who had a doctorate, even over the principal. You know, there was a lot of intimidation and jealousy going on. I mean, I could never do it right in that place. So, you know, I just was not happy in the kids they seem like most of them didn't want to learn. It was, and I was one of these I hard no, no teachers, you know, like, they pay me to teach, they don't pay me to learn. You know, I was that teacher who locked the door when you came in, if you didn't have a pay to get in, you didn't get in my classroom. And, and if you came in my class, I was like, I'm the king of this council. You know, I see a trial in my throne, this is where I'm ruled. This is where I'm ready, and I'm here to teach math. And if you don't want to learn math, you don't have to stay in this room. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And so that was time to move. And, and then they offered me the job, and that's how I went from being in corporate America.
3: I got a question. You mentioned um, glass ceiling. I'd love to get kind of what your perception of a glass ceiling is. Can you kind of describe like what that feels like, what it looks like?
2: Absolutely. You know, as a person, you know, um, working a job, you have certain, you know, career goals, right? And And my career goal was to become a CEO, chief executive officer of a company because I had that, I have that mentality, you know, uh, if I can see it, I can, you know, And believe it, then I will achieve it. And if I put my mind to it, I'm going to do it. So I tried by working hard and doing so I thought the right things to achieve my career goals. I did what they asked me to for the most part, but I'm not I am an actor, okay? And I stand for justice. Just like the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King said, said, "Injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere." And I saw a lot of discrimination. I'm just gonna be honest. Here. I saw a lot of discrimination, and, uh, and, uh, our disparities in terms of career events. I saw my white counterpart get, you know, um, promoted over me, and. I was curious as to why that was happening because I was into a mm-hmm. project during 22 years old from Georgia. You know, I always being outspoken, I-, I always kind of did what was on my mind. Really didn't have that many filters. But I was a nice person where I would just ask, you know, certain questions, and we had this meeting like this huge like meeting, and they say if you have any questions, put it in the little box. And I put my question in the box. When my question was, why do white people get promoted, you know, over black people? That was my question. Now, I, I don't people that put the question on the card in the little box without their names, because it was supposed to be anonymous. Why should that Yours truly. And, and my question was read for a of thousand of people. Next thing I know, um, my boss was like, Cheryl, did you write that question? Yeah. And maybe, Cheryl, I was like, Yes, I wrote that question. And he was like, Wow, I wish you wouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. They gave me an assignment that they knew I could not complete. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A very difficult assignment. That's tough. And they told me, my division chair told me, I think it's time for you to go back to Georgia. Wow. And awesome. they say, what do you need <laughs> to go back to Georgia? And at the time I was finishing up my master's. And uh, like I told you before, I left um, Ohio State because I was recruited by an Finished <laughs> up my master's. I asked them to pay a finish for my. Masters and give me at least a year Uh huh. And they, they gave me everything I asked for. Intra- wow. Versus answering the, the question? yeah, they, answering the
1: question?
0: Yeah, answering the question. Did
2: they answer the question? Absolutely not. They kicked me out in the building. Oh
1: my God. It did a
2: nice, you know, it was uh-huh. processed, but it wasn't that late. but it was blatant enough, you know what I'm saying, but not mm-hmm. literally. You know, mm-hmm. they pulled me out with the security mm-hmm. or nothing like that. Well, I was young. I was 28 years old at the time. Uh, Why well, have I had been there over five years? And so, imagine me to answer your question those are the things, those are the glass fillers. You know, when you use your voice, see your voice is your power. And so when you use your voice, sometimes it can get you in trouble. But I am, but when I see injustice, I speak down to my own fault. you I yeah. know a lot of people won't do that. That's what I was going to say. You're,
1: you're clearly very bold and outspoken where other people are thinking, you know, thinking right. something. And, um...
2: I'll bring yourself into... Uh-huh. <laughs> um... I'm yeah. actually thinking something too. The I'm i thinking something too, but I'm a risk taker. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people would um
1: right be afraid to ask the question for the same retaliation that you received, right? right? Um, right, because you know people you know need to have an income or whatever, and so that's um you know a place with the ceiling or or you know obstacles getting to where you want is better than no place at all. So. These are the kind of things or open conversations that we hope has improved this day and kind of um, perhaps through, I don't know if you have any experience through employee resource groups um, at corporations to see if, do you think it's the same today as it was when that happened to you?
2: Racism is here. Racism is alive. Racism is not going anywhere. And so, if somebody thinks racism is not here, then they're selling mistake. If someone thinks racism is not going anywhere, they're selling mistake. People will always have their opinions about stuff. People will always be biased. We, I mean, everybody they their own bias. You know, it is what it is. You know, so don't think for a moment that I don't think about. You know, I had a daughter at the time. Mm-hmm. So no, it's not like, you know, I wasn't worried about, you know, having there to how I was gonna take care of this. That's why I asked him for a year's compensation. Right. So yeah, but, but so right. now I got
1: a job before I out. <laughs> so for the students that you're teaching now, like what is your advice to them? Um as
2: they're trying to navigate their careers wow that's a very good question well i tell my students to follow you know their dream right uh pick and choose your battle. definitely pick and choose your battle. and so and picking and choosing your battles, make sure if you're gonna enter into a battle a perceived battle or something that may become a battle Make sure you don't put all your eggs in one um, basket and make sure you have a backup plan. You have some type of contingent mm-hmm. plan. Don't go into things blindly. You know, don't go into things blind at all. Make okay. sure you, you know, um, you have a plan. You yeah. got to have a plan. You have to strategize. Mm-hmm. You have to strategize. Strategize and be willing to accept the consequences. Got it. I don't regret any decisions, you know, that I made that are for the right reason. Yeah, I may have a few, you know, are scarred. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. from some of those battles, but the impact is more lasting than you know, anything. It might not have helped me, but it probably helped somebody that was coming behind. Yeah. And it made the Oregon ranger, ranger, ranger think twice about how they treat their employees. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to be something very simple or yeah. not. You'll You is you, not different. You can Google it. Mm-hmm. When I first came to UMass, black students were receiving letters anonymously, you know, telling them they didn't belong. They were very racist letters. Google oh, it. You'll find it out there. Yeah. Out yeah. there. Even distance parents from that sir. I deal with racism from my students. their assignments that I gave them. $20,000. Wow. Um, I was teaching a class on human-computer interact, and then in teaching this class. You know, um, one thing we talk about is we talk about persona, right? Uh, and building software, you not you need to know and understand who, who you're building the software where for, and who you're not building the software, for, right? Mm-hmm. So you got to look at okay. different scenario, right? Well, one of the first things you want to do after you do your planning and your analysis, or this is a part of the planning and analysis, is looking at personas. So in this one class activity, I had the students in their groups, I had like a hundred person class to create personas for their project. And then after, and they post them in the Google form, right? And so at the end of the class, they have to present. You know, this information. hmm So um this one group, I noticed uh the persona what the persona was that of a white man with all these positive actions. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, the students I was gonna to do an anti persona So they did a persona and then they did an anti-persona. You could probably guess already what the anti persona was. Mm-hmm. The anti persona was that of a black man. And they had a picture of a black man. Mm-hmm. And they wrote all the negative attributes that could fit on that page, you know, on that phone line for a black man high school dropout, lazy, you know, like that eat snacks. You know, don't work. If fit your name and they put it on there. And then the following week, we did another activity because every week I lecture and then I follow up the next lecture, you know, with a group activity. And we spend our entire class time doing that. Somebody else came up, I, I guess they thought it was cute. Uh, they did these memes, right? And I was trying to figure out what it did. And they put pictures like, you know, had Carter be and I said, had this McDonald's uh, combo. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I see that.
2: So they had a little man with there, right? And then they had like the little white people with the swell suits on. You know, like, looked at them, like, kind of crazy. I mean, you have to see it to believe it. And so, I had them to present out. Because mm-hmm. every group has a presenter. And the person didn't really want to present out. But they had to. And so, I just, I know I had, I don't know how I looked, but, but I'm sure I had some kind of look on my face, like that mama look. That black mama look. hmm And so... Uh, a, like, I know you did through this, you know, kind of look. And so um, um, the young, uh, the student actually presented out, you know. And, uh, and, uh, and um, I didn't really it, did, right? But I don't know, because since class was over, I left. I didn't look around, I left. I learned the next day that another student confronted that student, And told that particular student that what they had done was racist. And how, you know, it's like that other student police, you know, it's one classmate. So, uh, and the the student that was kind of, you know, that did a friendly picture confronted me the following class period. and said she was victimized. uh, and, And that. And I, I wasn't feeling that way because that student was responding to what was presented. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you put stuff, stuff like this, this in the atmosphere, you never know what you're going to get. get you know, and so that's mm-hmm. how that scene felt. And after that, I was like, you know, this has to stop. Mm-hmm. This is not going to go mm-hmm. on from week to week to week. Mm-hmm. So the next All class right. period, I had one of my colleagues sit in there on the class. And I put up their assignments, and I pull it, and the whole red land is not as simple. Mm-hmm. And if you do it again, you're going to be in trouble. Okay. So that gives us a glimpse to your daily life. Uh,
1: <laughs> as an educator, maybe you can um, kind of tell us in, in general, what are you doing, um, you know, in the in the roles you have and with the the outreach that you're doing as well?
2: Yeah, so um, as a computer scientist and as a professor, um, I teach human-computer interaction courses, and I love computer science. I love teaching um, the students, working with the students. And I also um, co-founded an organization at Youth Math called Latin Women United, so that we can address, you know, issues and challenges that women face. We had this year-long workshop called Your Voice, Your Power. We brought in this expert in voice positioning. Um, In terms of the students, I advise a group uh, of students uh, called STARS. um, And these students focus on uh, working with other students in computing, doing outreach, teaching high school and middle school kids how to code, for the past almost two decades, I've worked with Outreach. I love Outreach. I love um, exposing um, young Black girls and young boys in computing, teaching them how to code, teaching them how to program robots. I mean, it's something that I'm passionate about um, because I am, you know, a computer scientist and because I love coding and because... I love working with K twelve. Um, I was recognized in twenty thirteen by President Obama as a champion of change for technology. In closure, I was invited to the White House. Um, it was just an awesome event. I was recognized by Ebony Magazine. Um, in there. December 2013-2014 issued as a Power 100 uh, one of the 100 uh, most influential on uh, African American technology and areas in that particular time um, um, I formed a group called Cool Girls Code where primarily focused on black girls or uh, girls in period you know uh, period teaching them about coding uh bottom line work with organizations such as it's girls feet, the um, boys and girls clubs club, but club, you know, going to different high schools, going to different middle schools, teaching these young, you know, under served, underrepresented, kids uh, in K twelve about competing. Because once they get to college, it's not too late. But the learning curve is huge, and they would be struggling. You know, mm-hmm. especially if they went to a school like UMass. Mm-hmm. They would be like one of the number. And so um, it's important to, um, you know, involve our young kids early on. I would say elementary. That makes and sense. For parents yeah. and little- if I yeah, for parents who love pet, I wouldn't even give them tools before, you know, elementary. I have a grandson. Mm-hmm. I gave him um a fair And he knows how to scroll, you know, how to mm-hmm. do things like that. You know, um he uses his mom's cell phone. He's like what um thirteen months. But he was using a tablet before he was a year old. So um just introducing them to technology um early, you know, because tech is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. It's just my AI. AI is a subset of computer science, uh, this facial recognition software everywhere you go. You're driving your car, there's a camera at the stoplight. They're recording your face, you Mm -hmm. know, and they're storing that data somewhere. And they're training that data to recognize, you know, you and you and you and me. Uh You know, Uh, um, we use social media. Guess what? They're training the data that we put in social media, the pictures, the things that we type. All that information is down right? And they train these data sets and they create these models you know, from the data um, that they train to recognize certain, you know, patterns. And based on that data, they make certain decisions. You know, and so um, this has been happening for decades. AI may be new to you and I, but it's not new. It's been around for a while. It's just that the public we're always the last one who will become knowledgeable about the technology. It's like GPS, the global positioning system. It's been around forever. So he- when the government of uh, the systems of this world decided to market, you know, that particular product, right? Then, you know, we, the public, have access to it and we could first. So quest- question for you, Cheryl.
3: I got okay. uh, You mentioned a su- subset, AI is a subset of computer science. Um, I kind of want to go back to, as a professor of computer science, um, what are the different kind of subsets that is taught in computer science? Like what could someone that's interested in computer science kind of expect? Because can you demystify exactly what that major looks like?
2: Yeah, so computer science is a very broad area, right? And so uh, you can major in information systems. You can major in computer engineering. Um, you can major in AI. Almost today, you can create your own, you know, major. Um, you can major in uh, electrical engineering. And some departments have it here in computer science. Other computers, depending on the computer, the PNR institution, they have it. Up on engineer, just like computer engineer, can follow those on the computer science. You can major in cybersecurity. Can you describe the as you're naming
1: those? Can you just describe the differences and what those are? What what is information oh, systems? Yeah, sure. What is computer engineering? Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, let's talk about what is computer science, right? So computer science um, is the study of computers, but it involves writing software, right? that's how we get our computer um here's the our computer program and so for like information systems you know if you went to college you know or you had to get your email set up you had an it department called information technology it kind of set that stuff for you as well and so sometimes those people who are majoring in information systems they're focusing more on the business side of computer science uh, the application side, side of it's not as technical, whereas the computer engineer, you're focusing on uh, more of the hardware side, of it, right? Well, with electrical engineer, that's totally, you know, hardware, okay? Well, computer science is both, well, computer science is software where it where is, Um, engineering is just hardware and of course cybersecurity deals with you know trying to find you know um, the threat and the viruses that are in different software um, and even hardware so there are different rules different nuances they're not just blurry but yeah but you can measure in computer science with a math emphasis Whereas more math, real you can major in computer science with a business emphasis, where you take more business mm-hmm. courses. It all depends on the university and what curriculum they ask. So you you um you you
1: also mentioned that you had been doing a workshop. Was was that part of your faculty engagement? or Was that kind of another side thing outside of? Uh... Because I know you've also spoken at other conferences. So um just kind of curious how you got started doing yeah, that. Been...
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, YA Consulting. So I, a consultant. So I yeah. have my own YH Consulting and LLC. And so, for years, because I was doing all this outreach, and I was doing it for three, and finally one day I woke up. And I said... It's time for me to get paid, you know, while this free work that I've been doing. And so I had a friend at another university, we had a program, and asked me, Could I do a seminar on AI? And I said, Absolutely. And, you know, I charge my fees. And and I do a lot of speaking engagement, And so, and I charge my fees. So that's what Swanye uh controls is L uh, L C is all about. And so the seminar that I did these past two days on uh, what is the AI was an also workshop. It really was. Because one of the big things that is out there now that we're talking about not only yes uh you know how you are is chat uh uh GPT.
3: I love chat GPT, it's the best
2: <laughs> yeah, and the students use it and a lot of my colleagues are upset about it okay um, how so do they out. how do
3: they how do your colleagues implement chat gpt in their kind of sessions because i hear this all the time and i'm and i think like that is on the professors the teachers to adapt to the to, to modern technology because it's you know growing up in high school it was like you're you can't use a calculator on this test because you're not going to have a calculator with you wherever, or you need to learn this fact because you're not going to have a book with you wherever. Well, I can look up anything I want at any time and do any type of math. And now I can actually have a conversation with my search. So I think like these professors or these, these educators are giving homework or tests that can be answered by a chat GPT, then that's on them to adapt. And I think like if you're giving something that can be easily answered by a, a chat box, then that's a problem. You should, you should probably give harder work, and maybe not harder work, but just more complex work that actually challenges people to think. So I'm, I'm curious, like, what are your colleagues doing to adapt rather than fight against technology? And and it's kind of interesting being in a computer science department. You, you know, you'd think they'd be leading that charge.
2: Well, I can't for that for them, Right because I don't know what they're doing. But I do know a lot of plagiarism and cheating just take place on college campus. Okay? Period. Students cheat. Period. And it's not going anywhere. Okay? Students will forever cheat. And, And maybe I shouldn't be saying this, my philosophy on cheating is if you're gonna cheat, you better know what you're cheating about because you were fear being. Because in computer science, you could cheat your way through a degree, but when you try to go get that job at Google, Intel, Microsoft, you gotta stand before those software engineers and prove that you know how to write codes, in a state of my attorney, accurately, that'll be, you know, the test. That'll be the true test. Because you won't have no Chat GPT in front of you. You'll just have a, a document that said you have a degree. But if that degree won't say that you know how to code. But it's supposed to quote unquote say, it's supposed to say you know how to code. But that doesn't mean anything. And so, this is my thing. You know, I don't want the students to cheat. I really don't. Because I want them to get it for themselves. But if they do the fact teaching, I just will hope that they would understand the content. You know. But so they do tech to solve a problem. I hope they understand the code that was generated.
3: I like I like what you said. Yeah, understand the content that's generated. I think like, you know, if I imagine there's a lot of code that's kind of redundant, and it's like, do this thing, do this thing that like, ChatGPT can give you that code. And maybe if you had to manually write that, that takes a couple hours. Um, I think, you know, having conversations with people that if I had like a a army of developers to work on whatever, I I wouldn't want them to spend time writing code that's like very basic level. Of course, I would want them to understand the code that's being generated. I'd rather them, you know, spend time ideating very creative solutions or more, um, you know, just, you know, whatever it is, rather than just inputting manual code. I think their time could be used better. Um, Yeah, so to go to your point, like people have chat GPT while they're working. I mean, some companies are banning it completely for sure. But then other companies aren't. So like if your company is using as allowing Chat GPT, then I think it goes the same with like um interviews. If you're asking questions that can be solved by ChatGPT, then like what are you actually interviewing? You know, and a code bot can can do that code. Obviously, you want them to understand the output. So wouldn't it be better to like hey? Here's a problem. Put it in ChatGPT and let's go through it and tell me about that, rather than actually writing the code. Because I know Jenny, you've talked about sometimes interviews can be a lot of pressure, right? And so if you can take the pressure of like someone watching you write code off the interviewee, like that's just going to help with you know making these companies more accessible to people that I, you know, as a black person, they they might have not been interviewed by someone at Google or IBM or whatever company. And to have that pressure to come in and have to code live, like I could I could see that, you know, disadvantaging people that aren't prepared to do that. Jenny, how's a hot take?
1: See your point, but in an interview, you want to make sure people understand the basics. So if chat chat GPT is gonna put gonna output, you know, you ask it a question and it outputs a code snippet. You want to know they have the under at least the basic understanding to say is this junk code or is it not right? Because someone's got to go through it and 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 think about it. So I have to think about that a little more. I, and I mean, I'm older, so I'm like I don't know. I didn't have this. I, I did
3: it, work. so everybody had to do it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So
2: that's I feel like that is the
3: actual conversation that's not being had by everybody. It's always the well, I had to do it, so now you have to do it. But then like you don't write all your emails by hand and then send them off or you don't yes. calculate every. No, I'm talking about like by by pencil and paper and, oh, and all yeah, this yeah, stuff. Yeah. Like oh, yeah, yeah, as yeah. we get <laughs> more technology, we move on and we accept yeah. it as it is what it is. And, you know, Chat GPT hallucinates and it's like pretty bad code, but that's now. What about a decade from now? now? What about this, this generator, this generative AI is just so pervasive in our society that, you know, it's everywhere, and it's, like, very, very, very good, and we all trust it because we've been doing it. Like, at that point, are you going to say, like, hey, don't use this because I didn't have this? But, like, if you can do that, you can 10x your work, you know, from so one person. I think
1: work and interview are two different things.
3: Okay, so, yeah.
1: Right? Um, and every company is going to have their own policy, and we definitely don't, like, want to put our, um, what do you call it, our intellectual property on the internet just to be like asking questions about it so you've got to you know maybe there's going to be some tools that are going to like obfuscate like the business out of
0: code to put it in there but
1: so I don't know but
0: I uh, think you know AI this especially this generative AI is just a tool I still think that you know it's not a replacement for you having the knowledge and skills to actually be able to do what it is that you need to do. And I think to Maddie's point, how do, you know, with the education sector coming alongside this new tech to say like, this is here, this is a tool. How do we use this tool, you know, to educate students and sort of not make it taboo, but also drilling the fact that, you know, you, you still have to know the foundation of the information. You have to be able to understand, you know, what's being output here. Like Jenny said, is this junk code or not? Is this legit or not? You have to know um, that what it's giving you is true because as we've tested before, this is not a replacement <laughs> for the actual knowledge.
2: That's thing I was telling uh, my um, participants in my seminar you can prompt, you know, the chat by, you know, with certain, you know, um, questions, but you better take your responses because even during our seminar yesterday, some of the responses that got bad were incorrect because the, number one, prompt was a clear and concise. So you got to validate that the responses are what you're looking for. Because otherwise, you submit that as your homework, you know, solution for your homework. Your professor, your teacher going to know right away you teach, right? Because you didn't even answer the question. And so, mm-hmm. yesterday, the student, the participant, said write this type of code in Java, but the assignment asked for Python. Whoops. So, the code oh. was written right, but it was written in the right. Different right. language, right? Yeah. And so that's clear that you're checking. It. it works. And then not only that, if you're to have code to be generated, you need to compile and execute yeah. your code to see if it even works and produces. So, right? Yeah. You no know, yeah. question, you know. But even on the flip side, you know, professors can use, you know, this generative AI to uh, generate lesson plans to yeah. generate. You know, questions for exam. I, th- I think the positive, but I also see the negative side like of it, where it can make both the students and the instructor, you know, even better in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And it definitely helps mm-hmm. students you know, in the learning process. It would definitely uh, facilitate the learning process because everybody learns differently, right? And so yeah. if this tool is going to Help you because what we learned because we um, analyzed both Chat GPT and BARD, right? And there's some slight differences, even though basically fundamentally they're the same. But we noticed that, you know, like when they were using Chat GPT and say, for example, when they were trying to solve this equation and this algebraic equation, it gave them step by step everything. And it also gave them an explanation okay a clear explanation yeah and so then to me that alleviates going to office hours to get help that alleviates going to the tutor you know to get help i
1: I feel like we fast forwarded to the heat check section because it's
3: yeah a little bit sorry i'm I'm coming in hot i'm coming in (laughs) hot yeah so i recently switched a role Uh, as an associate product manager. And I work alongside a lot of just like highly technical people, whether they're data scientists or, you know, developers. And one of my main use cases for ChatGPT is that personalized tutor, right? So someone says this random thing that just is highly technical term, whatever that is. Hey, ChatGPT, what is this? Can you explain this math concept? It'll explain it. Now I want you to explain that to me like I'm 12 and use metaphors. And it does that. And now I have some foundational concept understanding of that, you know, the idea, the jargon, whatever the term is, and then I can build up from there. And instead of, you know, using these people's time, I have just like an immediate response, an immediate question that I have, boom, answer. And however kind sure. of perspective I want to look at. That's Definitely. kind of, I think. I, kind
1: that, of That's a valid work use case. But I, I think our debate is interview versus work right so in an interview i just want i'm trying to gauge what level of understanding you have on concepts and also your thought process to solving that so um i don't know it's kind of like you, you know do, do kids taking their driver's test still have to parallel park because cars can parallel park for you today
3: <laughs> yeah so but why I was, would they need to
1: if I'm flying on a plane and a, fl- a plane has... Uh, actually, when I was trying to find heat checks that this came up, where um, pilots' skills are kind of decreasing because they rely on autopilot too much. If there's an emergency are, and, and like all the technology goes away, can you steer this ship and land right. me safely? In that case, I would want to make sure they have the basics. I don't mind them using the technology, but if I'm trying to evaluate someone to take this role as piloting piloting the plane I'm on, I want to make sure that they... Can, you know, can execute the basics.
3: Yeah, I guess in that case, Jenny, I would I would think of something like this, like you have the problem statement and together with the interviewee you say, you know, put this in the chat oh. GPT. And I've seen this like um, with teachers, they'll say, like, write this essay based on this book and then critique the essay. So, you know, you could have the problem statement, you put it in the chat GPT, you write the code and then the interviewee like adds, you know, other requirements. I want it to look like this and do this thing and blah, blah, blah. So you get to see kind of how they're thinking about the problem, right? And then ChatGPT generates that code. And then together you work through the code and you say, you know, this might not work because of this. This would change. I would edit this way. But the you know, 80% of the work is done and they don't have to manually code. And then you can have a conversation about like why the code's good. What would you do different? How would you implement this into your your workflow or... How what kind of problems do you see? I think doing something like that rather than watching them code because you know that that is high pressure. And if you really only have thirty minutes to an hour, like, are you really going to have a lot of conversation? Are you going to get to know that person? You're going to get to see them work. And depending on you know what school they came from, they might be like more adept to handling that pressure.
2: I
1: see your point. I
3: feel very strongly about that. I great. See. That's <laughs> great.
1: Um, <laughs> great. <laughs> okay. So um, let's move along. Uh, so what programs, Cheryl, do you think companies should implement to increase black talent and technology?
2: Well, I, I believe that um, organizations uh, should uh Maybe have an in-house program for undergraduate students, specifically for Black students, to give them that experience and that exposure to working in a high-tech company or in a company, in a tech company, period. Because a lot of times, Black students, have gone to HBCU undergrad, a lot of times, Black students who are in computing do not... I often get the opportunity to work as types of companies and I know a few years back uh, Google had a similar type program where I would like to see more organizations specifically target students who are black to give them that exposure to give them the opportunity to work in a high-tech company otherwise they women will not know what it's like to work in those types of environments. And one way to do that is to target um, students who attend HBCs. I'll go there as soon as we go to our PWIs, whatever, but give them that opportunity. Well, us that uh, answer was set up for that, you know, and that not just saying we're going to um, say uh, Morehouse or Spelmer, and a lot of times organizations like to target black students who are at Morehouse or Spelman, and if there, there are no other HBCUs. Yes. So don't just target the Spelman's and the Morehouse. That's the places like I graduated from, Albany State, Fort Valley State, you know, Claflin University, Smaller University, who have regular students, right? So that they have the opportunity to be exposed to, you know, to TED. Companies like Google, like Facebook, you know, like Intel, all the major, you know, um, companies. Say for example, that are out there in California, right, in Mountain the area, the Mountain area, and so Silicon Valley is what they call it. And so, I think it's important that um, these organizations be very intentional about hiring and giving Black students the opportunity to learn um, about working in what I call corporate America, which is an old term, but, um, yeah, they need to offer, or they need to create a program specifically for Black undergraduate students who, who, who are in STEM, um, the opportunity, if they choose to do that, you know. And not just get, I'm going to say this, and I might not be five for standing, but not just the people with the 3.5 or better. Mm-hmm. And just because a student have a 3.5 or better, they may have cheated to get there. Yeah. Then you might have the yeah. one with the 3.0 who worked really hard, say, at the PWI to get that 2.5. It made no more, you know, academically, they're computer science here than the students that went to the HBCU they got, a, they got the 4.0. Yeah. That's very valid. The long oh, grand. That's, that's very valid. Because grade, valid. Yeah, cause those grades are earned for Black students at PWI. I know that for a fact. Those grades are earned, they're not given. They're not giving, they're earned. Yeah. know, so, and if sometimes and I'm reading the Bible here, and sometimes those black students who are at those PWIs who got who get seized out of their sex with credit. They could probably be I'ma get in trouble for this. But they may going to some other schools and be at ain't like that because of the exposure that they've had, in the spirit that they've had in those tough courses. I know I'm going to get in trouble for saying that, but it's the truth.
0: No, we appreciate your candor.
2: It's yeah. Yeah, so I say give them all. If they got at least a 2.0 grader, give them a chance. I believe everybody deserves at least yeah. one chance. If they graduated, give them a chance. Right? Give them a tenure. If they happen to environment working with ten companies with these large tape companies, give them a 10. Give them a 10.
3: I actually love your answer. Um, you know, coming from education myself. I think, you know, I've the kind of uh the Supreme Court's decision on affirmative action. I kind of see the other perspective on like your you're trying to solve a problem that's like so far down the funnel when you should instead start at the beginning. And like the exposure for students, like just, you know, you know, pros the take your kid to work day, like how many, how many kids that came to the company or in any company that comes to the take your kids to work day that had no idea what their parents did in corporate environment or a tech company. And now it's like, oh, this is now something I have seen someone do. I've seen my parents do, or I've seen other people that look like me and just like bringing kids in for a day, like that those memories and that experience and exposure will do a lot more than I think people kind of understand.
2: And also having your kids be involved in these different computers camps early on. You know. Exposure is so important. Just exposing them to
0: it. And then they can decide, you know, what they want to do.
1: Yeah, because as far as I know, exactly. it's not standard curriculum. It's not like English, math, computer science, which at this point I feel like it should be. Um, so it's you. kind of up to the parents to get that early exposure.
2: And I agree with you all that because, you know, the federal government cannot mandate, you know, that computer science, be a part of the core curriculum. And it should be, because there's nothing in our society almost that you do where you don't use technology. I mean, technology transcends every aspect of our lives. And it should be a part of the core. Everybody should be given the opportunity to learn about technology. Just like we didn't learn how to type years ago. That was required. And You yeah. know, I wanted to say something, Matthew, created about that calculator. I used to be that teacher. <laughs> I used to be that teacher. <laughs> and I'm going tell you something, but I changed. You know, when I changed, I have four children. They're all grown now. Well, one of my kids, Ended you know, up, you know, well, was disabled, right? And so, one of my kids had learning challenge, right? And she could not do math without a calculator. Wow. She learned math by doing using a calculator. So my mind and my heart changed because everybody learns different. Absolutely. And so at the end of the day. If you know how to use a type of technology that'll make your life and your job easier, why not? What's wrong with it? What's not cheating? To me, it's smart to know how to use it, right? Because black people don't even know how to use different types of technology, right? I don't even mind if my students use the cell phone. I really don't. But it took me personally going through stuff where my daughter could not learn without the technology, right? And guess what? My daughter is a computer engineer today. She was told she could never graduate from high school. She was Everything she learned up to the age of six, that's all she would know. But thank God for the technology because the technology assisted her in graduating from high school in college with ours and becoming a software engineer and goes to drum straight out of college. So I'm glad you mentioned that about the calculator. And some people don't have those experiences where the light bulbs have come on or where they had some kind of personal encounter where they understand, you know, why technology is needed. And that's why we're having the issue with Chad GPT. Right? Because just like Ray Henry Maybe when those kids who were in middle school or in high school, they didn't the worst English teacher. They really didn't teach them how to write. Absolutely.
0: Um, I'm, I'm glad that your heart changed about that. And I'm hoping, you know, with uh, AI coming into the forefront, that, you know, more educators, more parents, more um, organizations will... Adopt it as a tool to use, um, and it be a positive influence on you know a student's work or an employee's work, um, while still you know I don't want to say force, but still having them you know understand the foundations of what it is that they the context in which they're working, and that this is just a tool and it's not bad. <laughs> It's not the enemy. Right. Well, thank you, Dr. Soigne, for sharing with us. Um, We are moving into the heat check segment of the episode. Um, The heat check is where we find um, current topics that are happening, whether it's in technology um, or black culture. Um, And Dr. Soigne, if you have any um, opinions on anything that we share, please feel free to jump in. Um, I'm going to pick on Maddie today to go first. I knew that was
3: happening. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all right. I'm prepared. Also coming with a hot take. Um, So show of hands, how many people here have uh, Amazon Prime? Mm -hmm. One, two, three. Jenny with the slow hand (laughs) raise. Yeah. So recently moved to uh, Seattle. Um, So, you know, Amazon's huge here. And Amazon Prime Day was um, you know, a couple days ago, I think July twelfth and the thirteenth. It was two day event. Um, this article is from TechCrunch. It says Amazon boasts a record sale for Prime Day as U.S. shoppers spent twelve point seven billion dollars during this sales event. Um, yeah, so I actually fell for one of these things. I bought AirPods. I've been wanting them, but I've been wanting them for like two years, so I don't. I don't care. I also was going to buy a standing desk and. You know, I was like online and I was like kind of looking at, you know, what people are saying. And a lot of people are saying that, you know, Amazon will raise their prices beforehand or, you know, just slap on like a this is for sale and it actually hasn't changed. I was wondering if you guys had bought anything and you noticed this. Um, And then I guess the second part of that was the desk that I I bought, which is uh, like one of those standing desks I'm very excited about. instead of buying it on Amazon, I actually just went to Facebook Marketplace and was able to find like someone that was moving and get the exact same desk that I was going to buy for, you know, like $90 cheaper. And I feel better because I wasn't giving my money to Amazon. So I'm, I'm curious, like, do you guys like participate in these events or do you not try to give your money to these giant corporations? I'll
0: speak on this. I did not. Uh, purchase anything for Prime Day this year. I think previously I probably would have been like, what can I go on here and find and buy just because it's on sale? Um, Similar situation with me. I also wanted a standing desk and I searched and I searched and I searched and I went to Facebook Marketplace and found the one that I wanted for like a 100 bucks cheaper. Um, I don't know. I'm not necessarily moved anymore about the big you know, these big sales that, that people are having any more. Um, I can't say that I hate Amazon because I use them all the time. <laughs> I am aware of all of the, the things that happen, but no, I did not participate in, in prime day this year. And I had not noticed any like price hikes before,
2: before prime day came down. Well, I didn't participate with, the, with Prime Day this year at all. You know, I'm trying to move away for participating in those type events. You know, yeah. Um, I've been reading a lot of, these are the Prime Day. These are
1: things you can find on Prime Day. So I like to eat like, like uh, internet window shop. So I, I just go through <laughs> I always add things to the cart, but I didn't really find anything that I was like ready to like, yeah, I absolutely need this. So
0: yeah, my, but I shop at Amazon
1: all the time.
0: I do definitely have my, uh, what is it? Like your wish list. It's probably several (laughs) hundred dollars full at this point, but I did not press. (laughs) did not add to cart anything (laughs) for Prime Day. Yeah. All right, Jimmy, you want to go next or you want me to go?
2: I could go. Um, So
1: I read an article on the newsletter from the Pragmatic Engineer, uh, Twitter versus Instagram threads, two different approaches, approaches to throttling. Um, so I did kind of hear this through the grapevine that Twitter was like limiting the number of posts that people could read and write. And I was like, "That's weird, uh, but this article kind of goes more into it. It's kind of more of a change management thing where I think um they were I think the official message was, well we're we're doing this so we can keep up with um scammers and bots and making sure that reducing the amount of you know that those threats to to the community um uh, but right, that's been." the case and, um, you know, all these social media companies have, you know, mature processes on, on how they handle that, but it seems like it's more of a change management where they were rolling off of Google cloud and they hadn't yet set up the infrastructure to handle their, their load or the, you know, the amount of, um, traffic that they get, um, based on that. So poor planning is what I put that under and, and like poor um, customer experience, like all that should be transparent to, to your community as, as far as, you know, what, you know, what I need to spin up and down to make sure we can handle 1 million users versus 2 million users doing, you know, however many tweets a day, I don't know how much. Um, and I, I think that's the, what the rest of the article is talking about that now that threads is out, that's already very mature platform because it's basically Facebook and, and, um, instagram and so i think they said mark zuckerberg was hoping to get to like 1 billion users um which i'm kind of surprised we're not at 1 billion users on twitter i don't know i didn't look into that um but i just thought that was very interesting and kind of going back to the conversation we had before where you know what is the curriculum and what should a basic understanding of what's happening um right in school i think i took econ so i have a basic understanding of supply and demand and i took you know, other classes. So I have basic understanding of the things. If everyone doesn't have a basic understanding of where your data is and what the threats are to your data and there's no course in your, you know, to get, you know, to, to graduate high school, I think everyone should have a base like be instructed on the things you need to be aware of of how, um what your what your footprint on the internet or, you know, out there means. And so this is
0: one of the things. So that was interesting. I have a question. Has anyone gotten on Thread?
2: I don't think it's supported on Android because I didn't see.
3: Much. Oh, gosh, Jenny. <laughs> Jenny, <laughs> Google, Google, Google Podcasts.
0: Oh, my goodness. Not
1: more. I <laughs> deliberately went to Instagram thinking I would get an alert that said join Threads,
0: and it did not I happen. So one day we will convert you. One day. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah, I read something, I don't know if this is true, and so take it with a grain of salt, but it was something like 20 people in three months created threats. Um, and so, like, with yeah, wow. with the layoffs, you know, condensing the pyramid, people are just able to, move. or these co- companies are able to just move really fast. I'm sure they use some generative AI and stuff.
1: Um, no, 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 no. Okay, 20 people in three months, based off all that foundation of, Application code from Facebook and Instagram. They didn't write it from scratch in three months. So I, I, I
0: actually read, I didn't read the no whole way. article, but I saw like a headline of like threads was developed like two years ago from someone who actually worked at Meta. And I think it was Facebook before they changed their name. And it was like mm-hmm. presented and it never went anywhere. And then all of a sudden they represented it and it took off. I think they had like 2 million users signed up in the first. Yeah, wow. it definitely 100%. hit a
1: record. It definitely hit a record. I think it's because it's tied to Instagram, right? Yeah, yeah. I like-,
3: like. I also yeah, I saw a huge number, and then I I, I stumbled across a uh, post that was like the user user base is like going down, which makes sense. You know, it's a new thing; people want to jump into it. I'm not convinced people are going to leave Twitter. Um, I don't. I don't think Elon no, can. No, no, no can really destroy that ecosystem as much as people think he can.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's doing a bank of of I think it's tonight. possible. I think it's possible. I heard someone yeah. um, say that Threads feels like the original Facebook. When Facebook first came out and you can only sign up through your college where you were just posting your random thought of the day and it was just this thread of things people are talking about. Um, and I was like, I can I can get that vibe for sure. I'm not on there a lot, but I was one of the two million to, to go sign up. <laughs> All right, so my Your check turn. for today is um, an article that I came across on CNN. Um, FBI is warning consumers against um, using public phone charging stations um, in order to avoid exposing their devices to malicious software. Um, I don't know that I've ever used one of those public charging systems, but I guess this makes sense. Um,
1: Even at the airport?
0: No. I stay stay charged. My anxiety won't let me go somewhere where I'm not going to (laughs) be with my charger and not be fully juiced up. Um, public USB stations like the kind found at malls and airports are being used to spread malware um, and monitoring software, according to a tweet last week from the FBI's Denver branch. The agency advised to carry your own charger and USB cord and use an electrical outlet instead. The cord you use for your phone is also used to send data from your phone to other devices. Um so obviously you plug a cord into it and you can transfer files and things of that nature. And people are also like leaving cords at these public charging stations, hoping that you will plug your information in and transfer the data. It's insane. So my heat check is just a warning to folks. Bring your own charger with you.
1: Okay. So it's if the actual stations that you're... You're plugging that in, not just the electrical outlet. No. You plug your own a char- a okay. separate
0: electrical outlet is fine. It's just those hoods.
1: Uh, yeah. yeah, I agree. I'm only using my equipment. I'm
0: not-
2: <laughs> yeah, but well, You're I, talking about the, yeah. the connector. Yes. So, the, um,
0: you know, you go and you see those charging banks. They've got several little ports on there where you can go and charge your phone if you need to. You don't have a charger with you, they're saying. Don't do it. People people are getting locked out of their phones, viruses. put. I don't join
1: Wi-Fi either. I don't use other people's Wi-Fi.
0: I don't either. Mm,
1: No. Yeah.
0: No, if I have bad service, I just have bad service.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's like too bad. Yeah.
0: All right. It's because you
3: don't have Apple. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that is not no. That is irrelevant to this conversation. Do not. I don't know. I don't know. IPhones,
3: iPhones. have pretty good security.
1: No.
0: She's not coming to.
1: That's not coming no. to the other. That crowd. is a misconception. We'll that is. Don't, yeah. Don't believe that. Don't join random Wi-Fi's because.
3: Especially if you have Android. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You're never going to escape this, Jenny, until you convert.
2: No, I'm never going to convert
1: because it's interesting content for our <laughs> answer.
3: Will she, won't she? Tune Tune in <laughs> next time on the next episode.
0: We want to thank you again, Dr. Soigne, for joining us today, as well as all of you listening in. If you enjoyed this conversation, share the show with your colleagues, friends, and family. Drop us a line at interfacepodcast.com or find us on LinkedIn. Your feedback is important to keep the show valuable and relevant. So please rate and review us on whatever platform you're listening from. We encourage you to go out and continue this conversation and even start your own.